Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. In this pod, our first live recording, we're joined by Richard Wynne-Jones of Cardiff University's Wales Governance Centre to discuss relations between the UK and Welsh and Scottish governments and visions for the future of the UK from both Gordon Brown and the Welsh Government's Commission on the Constitutional Future of Wales. Hello. Uh, welcome to a live recording of the Hiraith podcast. Um, we're going to just take a couple of minutes now to talk about the panel and to talk about recent events in constitutional discussions. So the interim report that came out very late last night, slash early this morning, depending on when you wake up, slash go to bed, and also uh, the Gordon Brown uh, Commission report uh, last week went to the Labour Party. So uh, I'm going to open it up to Richard now. Uh, what, were your what was your assessment of the discussion we had at the panel and the context surrounding it in relation to both that interim report and, and the Brown Commission? So I think in terms of um, Jerry and Will and the conversation that we've just listened to, uh, what, what I find striking and actually encouraging is that there are now no easy options. Well, what's, what's really striking is that we're getting, there's, there's realism, as you would expect from Jerry and Will about the status quo, but also there's problematizing independence, which is fair enough, but also problematizing everything else in the middle, you know, uh, there are no simple solutions here. It's all difficult. It all requires hard thinking. Um, and uh, you know, the will made a point that you know anybody who says that independence is straightforward is straightforward should be ignored. But uh, you know, we can widen that to uh, anybody who says any of this is straightforward can be ignored, and that's a good starting point for the conversation. Um, so yeah, so, so in that sense. It's, it's encouraging, even though it's yeah. also profoundly depressing at the same time. It's, it's, it's almost as though the status quo is unimaginable. It, the status quo continuing is almost as unimaginable as any of the potential options, but equally as depressing, depending on who you are, that the status quo could continue, and depending on your particular constitutional, I mean, any of the potential yeah, options yeah. could happen. I mean, this was one of the things, I mean, we, the, there's the big thing standing behind all this is Brexit. And if you compare the debate about Scottish independence 2014 and anything that happens after 2016, in 2014 there was, there was a relatively safe thing. You knew what you were getting versus uncertainty. And what Brexit, I think, does is that everything is uncertain. The status quo is uncertain. Uh, what comes next is also uncertain. And then, just as, to add to the context, we've had the insanity of the last few months of politics in the UK, where you've had <laughs> the Trust government, which, you know, is, was in, insane in all kinds of ways. <laughs> but just in terms of the, the devolved dimension of this, the way that the new IGR mechanisms, which had been, you know, trumpeted into intergovernmental relations. If you're, if you're a cool kid, it's IGR, obviously. It's fine, but intergovernmental, that whole thing which was trumpeted as this big breakthrough and embodied lots of the ideas that the Welsh government had been talking about for many years, literally fell apart. It, none of, according to uh, Mark Drakeford's comments in the Senate, and I have no reason to doubt the First Minister, it all fell apart because you had a nutter in charge in, in London. Uh, and so if you think about building the state on the basis of one individual can come in and form a government, which just says, sod all this. You know, this is just bonkers. And so the status quo looks unsustainable, yes. 
but then every other single option looks like looks ve very complicated and we'll get back to the brown ideas in a moment we'll get back to the the uh, interim report of the commission the welsh government established commission led by laura and ron williams we'll get back to that in a moment but you know every option is painful um and so you know i think i actually think that's progress <laughs> in, in, in a weird way what what absolutely blows my mind that Liz Truss, about, about Liz Truss not contacting Mark Drakeford, is that she was actually in his constituency during the Queen's uh, memorial process. She went to Llandaff Cathedral, yeah. she sat a few seats away from him, yeah. and she still didn't have a conversation with him in 45 days. Well, and, and also she was being told, I, I am reliably informed, she was being told by senior civil servants uh, that she need in in London that she needed to do it and why wasn't she doing it and it was willful it was a it was completely personal on her part not to do it yeah. uh, but uh, which is which is you know there's you can get into the the pathologies of of, of Liz Truss but also <laughs> and we we should that <laughs> after we finish the podcast and there are no libel lawyers listening <laughs> we we should but but actually we should also reflect on the fact that an individual we have a system that would that you know this apparently well-established mature state is 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 such that an individual can can do that mm. to the system it, it, uh, felt, it felt pathological didn't it it felt as though she had taken such a hard line stance during her leadership campaign against speaking to nicholas surgeon or mark drakeford that she was never going to speak to them unless she absolutely had to um, during her entire tenure, so it, 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 that that is to me com completely fascinating. But I'm I'm interested that as soon as Rishi Sunak came back in, he brought Michael Gove back in, yeah. and we've heard from Welsh government the important role that Michael Gove played in actually trying to create a slightly better relationship between central and devolved governments. How important do you think him coming back in is in, is to this sort of constitutional discussion we're having? Well, I, I, th I mean, this I, I'm going to repeat myself slightly. I mean, clearly. Gove is the adult in the room uh, on the UK side when it comes to devolution, which is again, you know, strange. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for the yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll, more, more after we've stopped <laughs> recording. But, um, <laughs> but, 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 again, it tells you so much about the nature of the UK state and how badly it's adapted to devolution that you require a person to be a minister in cabinet, a certain person who actually seems to have some sense that you can't treat the devolved governments in, in particular ways unless you want bad consequences to happen to the state. That, you know, that you're so dependent on, on that individual tells you so much. And, you know, I, this, is, this is not an original point, but it's always worth reflecting on the fact that the central state has no capacity to think about the territorial constitution. So they've kept the Wales office and the Scotland office there. They're basically campaigning offices in Scotland and Wales. They are tiny, they've got no, they've got very few staff, um, they've got very little capacity. The cabinet office is meant to deal with the, the big constitutional issues. The cabinet office in the world of Whitehall is where people go and spend two years before moving on somewhere else. It's a step in your career. So people like myself, pre-pandemic, every two years, I'd get a phone call from Whitehall saying, 
there's a new director of something. <laughs> it would, there would be a different title every couple of years. It would be the Union something. Anyway, something to do with the Union, right? And they, they send, somebody's coming to Wales. Will you meet them? Uh, and of course, I'd say yes. You'd meet them, have a chat. They were lovely. They'd usually been on holiday to Abersoch <laughs> um, at some point. But that was the extent of their knowledge about Wales. And they were really nice, and they were really bright, and they were really interested. And you'd have a nice chat with them. And then you'd probably hear from them again in a, maybe a year. And, and then they would be gone, and there would be a replacement. So it's constant churn. There's nobody senior at the UK level who gets any of this stuff. The civil service is set up in a way that militates against understanding. So you're reliant on people like Gove, or the Gove equivalent, David Lidington mm. was was the was the predecessor, who were you know who've got a, a, some common sense about this stuff, but there's nothing. The system the system isn't set up to generate these people to support them, and it tells you pretty much everything you need to know about mm. the UK and the territorial constitution. Kerry, I'm interested in your thoughts really on what you think the public reaction has been to this increasing constitutional tension, and whether you think that it's just us. Sorry, everybody, anoraks, that, um, <laughs> that, that feel this way, or do you think is wider? Do you think that even if it's not necessarily displayed as a, you know, a, a tangible feeling of distrust or dislike of our current constitutional assessment, do you think that the general public feels that something might be out of sort? I, I do think it's just us. I think it is, <laughs> I think it is a bubble. No, no, it, it, you know, we've got to face, face what I think is a reality of the Welsh civic. Uh, bubble is several thousand strong and after that there isn't a lot of interest and it goes into some of the wider things we might talk about which I think Will talked about in his um, part of the, the earlier session about you know the actual on the ground things which people worry about it is as we had some of the questions it's about health the immigration question it's about education what we what we talk about about independence and uh, Commissions and where we're going with that, I think, isn't on the height, isn't on the agenda of most people in Wales. I'm not sure in Scotland, Jerry. Uh, I think it probably is the higher regard there because they've been through that first agenda uh, referenda. But in Wales, I really don't think it is. I think you know the issues which we we're talking about. If we talk about what my interest in independence is, it isn't so much for independence for independence sake. It's the big issues that we've got in Wales. You know, it's the poverty, your health your education, what will improve those? And a little bit of me is beginning to come around to the view that the amount of time we spend on the indie discussions is a little bit of a distraction from a lot of our policy issues, which really are in desperate need of a lot more scrutiny and solutions. And I think we heard from the audience tonight some of those, and that's what people I do think want to talk about. And uh, one of the polls which came out of this week's commission um, you know, it, it, I think it was good numbers, it was 2,000 people, but when you're talking around the future of a country of three point something million, it, it wasn't really that well engaged, I didn't think. Do you think that, uh, this is sort of a question to both of you then, I suppose as well, to the rest of the, the audience here when we eventually let them talk. Um, <laughs> is, do you think then so that the sort of muted reaction to the Welsh Government Commission and the fact that they have had to delay the the deadlines in terms of submitting evidence, etc., et speaks to a sort of a, a perhaps a, a lack of interest, or at least a lack of enthusiasm for that debate in Wales. 
Yeah, so I have a slightly different take on this. So, uh, and I think there's a people like myself are, are, are maybe too apologetic and too self-deprecating in the sense that we say the constitution is something that only anorak's are interested in. The last six or seven years of UK politics suggest <laughs> completely <laughs> the opposite, because Brexit has dominated UK politics. It's broken. UK politics, arguably, and that is, if that's not about the constitution, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. What is also the case is that what we see in Wales, and that the evidence is very, very clear about this, is that people view policy uh, possibilities, poly policy outcomes, uh, they, they, they view those things through glasses that are constitutionally formed. So basically people who believe in autonomy tend to be much more pro-Welsh government. They tend to see that when think good things happen, they think it's due to the Welsh government doing things, even when those areas are not actually devolved. So, uh, so I think that the, the relationship between the constitutional stuff and the policy stuff, and I, and I completely get Kerry's point, and I, you know, I have huge sympathy for the idea that we need to get serious about talking about public policy. I mean, I, I get that, but I don't think that you can. I don't think you can differentiate them because the public don't differentiate between them in a simple way. These things are, are fused together in terms of public attitudes, and you know that that's. I guess that's inevitable. Matt, can I put it to you as well? You've, you've heard SB. What, what What's your take on the the various discussions we've had and the reports that have come out in the past few days? Well, I'm shocked that you haven't taken uh, enough time, Kerry, to basically say Gordon Brown should be a Green Party member for all the things that came out in his commission report. Well, they all sound like Green Party policies, don't they? Abolishing the House of Lords, more power to local people. But I think this is something uh, we'll, we'll talk about with, with Richard a bit more, is that the, the, the Brown commission report I don't think there's much in there that anyone would necessarily disagree with, unless, of course, you're a member of the House of Lords, in which case you're probably less keen. Um, but, but I, it, it is just, it's very interesting to see where this report is, the, the sort of journey this report has gone through. Whereas large parts of this report were leaked months ago. And unfortunately, those who were very involved in the Labour Party know there's only two reasons you ever leak anything, which is to kill it, or to make sure it isn't killed. And, so I'm, I still haven't really got to the bottom of whether why this Brown report was leaked, whether it was because there were people who, didn't, who, who liked what was in it, who didn't want it to be lost in a battle with the PLP, or whether the PLP thought, this is terrible, no one will ever take this seriously, and tried to kill it by leaking it. So I, I'm very intrigued to see what's happened there, but I think that broadly, the way they framed it this week, which is much more in terms of the economy and trying to deliver economic benefits to moving that out of, of just benefits for the City of London is in keeping with the way that Labour will approach the next general election. But I, I'm very intrigued to see how much of this report actually makes it into the next Labour manifesto in its complete form, or whether there are certain areas that are watered down or, or at least kept in very broad language. Rich? So I, I the, 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 we need to get to Wales eventually and where it figures in, yeah. in, in the Brown report. But let's just talk about the polling they did. Uh, it, my colleague and co-author Ilsa Henderson was pointing this out to me. They did some survey work for the Brown Commission report. 
They had 2,000 res uh, respondents in England, which is fair enough, 1,000 in Scotland, 500 in Wales, and zero in Northern Ireland. And if you want to, if you want to, and, and I, I put it to you, Matt, <laughs> that this, this is not a bad uh, sense of what was important for the Brown Commission report. So Northern Ireland, the treatment of Northern Ireland is risible. I mean, and if you're a unionist, as, as I mean, Labour claims to be a unionist party, Brown is a unionist. The fact that Northern Ireland is treated so, yeah, it's not even a, it's not even an afterthought. Is uh, is extraordinary. The, the well, we don't stand candidates there. But, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. nonetheless, nonetheless, I'm not in it. Yeah, no, no, but then no, no, Wales no. is also very low. So this, there are two things going on in the Brown report at the meta level. One is this is about Scottish unionists trying to work out how you how you do the UK, and there's a solipsism about Scottish unionism. It's basically all about Scotland. And so what, the, the, what they're trying to do there is find a way of entrenching devolution. And so the whole of the House of Lords reform is about finding a mechanism, which is not a written constitution, which is the obvious way of entrenching devolution. It's using House of Lords reform to create a dem democratic body that has some way of, uh, what's the word, vetoing or at least making it more difficult for the House of Commons to, to change those pieces of legislation that devolve powers to Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. That's that's the that's that's the point, and that's why the whole dem the arguments about uh, whether this is elected or not is actually so important. Because if it's not elected, it doesn't have the legitimacy to stop the House of Commons doing things of devolution. So there's a whole. It's kind of clever. It's a way of avoiding a written constitution because that's the last thing that they want to open up. And then you've got the then the English side is you've got this notion which I think is wrong that Brexit was caused by the left behinds, right? Which is deeply ingrained in the centre left. It, the, the statistics doesn't, doesn't really show that is the case, but unless it's become entrenched, so it's the left behinds. What you need to do is shift growth out and then you need, you need these combined authorities with a bit more power to try and do that. So there's an English dimension and there's a Scottish dimension What's happened to Wales is clearly a bun fight between the Welsh Government and the Welsh PLP, Parliamentary Labour Party, and the Welsh Parliamentary Labour Party won, is my take on that. And so you ended up with a utterly incoherent set of proposals for Wales, which is to devolve youth justice and probation. No arguments as to why those things, and actually if you know anything about those fields, which they clearly don't, probation is part of HMPPS, Her Majesty's Prisons and Probation Service. Are they really suggesting that in Wales and in Wales only, probation is taken out of HMPPS and somehow treated separately? And, and how is that going to work? And what's, I mean, I don't think that a moment's thought, a literally a moment's thought, has been given to what that looks like, let alone all the new jagged edges you create by doing that. Well, it's, it's just a compromise, internal party Well, compromise. this is what I was going to talk to you about. It's the fact that, obviously, when I talked about it being leaked a few months ago, I'm very intrigued to see what that report was like before it came into contact, both with the Shadow Cabinet and with the members of the Welsh PLP who saw it, and whether it has had any, do you think, substantial changes made to it, whether it's just justice, whether there were any other policy areas that were considered to be devolved, but 
members of the PLP didn't think. Well, there's, the, the, it's interesting that there's a form of wording that the Welsh... The section on Wales is very weird, very brief and very weird, OK? And it says, basically, there's no in-principle objection to devolving anything to Wales that's already devolved to Scotland. Uh, but we're not going to do it. But we're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're not going to tell you why, <laughs> either. Because, basically, you don't need to know. Yeah, yeah. This is all about the internal conversation within the Labour Party. I mean, Jerry was talking in his point earlier about the, the, the arrogance, potentially, of the SNP after being in power in, for, for a mere 15 years. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> Amateurs. <laughs> but, you know, but there's something there about, yeah, there's no problem with devolving any of it, but you're only going to get those things and we're not going to tell you why. And actually, if you know anything about those areas, it doesn't make any sense. So this it's bizarre. Kerry, did you want to say anything before we open up to the floor? No, I'd be really interested. The only thing I would say is that we've had the, the commission uh, papers this week, but the one which is, and there's a report which has really gone under the radar, which is another Cardiff University report around... Um, Richard, you must have to correct me on the name, but it's about the fiscal governance side of things, looking at next week's Welsh budget, mm, yeah. which is, you know, we're talking around the longer term, and Will, in his kind of piece, put the timeline in real perspective on, you know, referenda for Wales. But next week is a Welsh budget at a time where, by all accounts, budgets are under real, real pressure. And the, the Cardiff University report, which has come out, I can't remember the name. It's the Wales Governance Centre at Cardiff. Trying to win over the audience there. But the fiscal report was really good. I, I think, you know, it, it's, it shows... No, no, but it, it's, passed, it, it's passed under the radar, I think. But, you know, it's been made a clear point around, again, around health, that health isn't going to have the funding to meet the requirements. And it's really now, I think there was a line in there which really looked at next week, there is a real possibility that income tax in Wales will be a lever which will be used to raise, I think they suggest, 275 million to address that issue in health. And we're talking around independence and things like that. But one of the main policy levers we've had, and Jerry, I'm not sure, I know Scotland's got it, but I'm not sure if it's used, is that uh, income tax lever. And we haven't used that yet. And we've no, got real we have, problems. Yeah, yeah, because we have fewer we have fewer levers than Scotland. We can't move the thresholds. So in Scotland, all the action in Scotland is around thresholds, basically, and we don't have those income tax powers in Wales. So, for reasons which are again never been justified or explained, the structure of tax devolution for Wales is different from that in Scotland, and the Scottish powers are much more usable than the Welsh powers. But you're, you're right to saying that there is at least a quest, there is at least a possibility that the very crude powers that we have in Wales might be used. Um, but we shall see. But I think, I mean, that report was. I mean, it's it's very good, and you're right. It it, it deserves more attention than it got. And what really struck me, um, uh, I I went to the presentation of the report on Monday morning. I think it was. And the final slide was just showing household incomes in Wales and what's happened to household incomes in Wales. Uh, and if we'd continued growing at the same trend uh, as was the case pre-austerity, household incomes in Wales would be £10,000 greater on average than they are now. And I think, if I'm right, they're around £20,000 now. So, you know, it's an enormous gap. You know, this kind of lost decade of growth 
and what that's meant for, for a very, very poor country like Wales is just staggering. And you're right, you know, that, those are the kinds of things that we need to be talking about. On that really cheery note, <laughs> um, I was going to ask if we had any questions from the audience, if people could raise their hands. Yes. Uh, just on a point about, um, so the, uh, maybe there's a bit of an argument between the PLP and the Welsh Labour government. Mm. Like, can you go into any detail as to what maybe is the key points between that <laughs> for, for the sake of the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> historically the PLP has not been as favourable to the wholesale devolution of powers to Wales as the Senate group of Labour and that's, there's no massive surprise there's, there's a whole host of reasons for that one I think is that they feel that they can execute those powers better if they were ever to get into government something that now looks increasingly likely. Uh, secondly, because I feel as though, to a greater or lesser extent, um, if you're an MP trying to campaign in an election, if you can't campaign on the health service or the schools, if they're going to take the police and the welfare state away, what can you campaign on? Um, taxation, again, is a power that hasn't been used by the Welsh Government so far, but may well be used soon. Um, I can't envisage a situation where and I know I'm, I'm going to apologise in advance for this, because of our porous border, they would like a situation where you create a different taxation system either side of, of the Welsh border. That would make it very difficult for Welsh MPs. Make it very difficult, di very difficult politically because you can't see the Welsh Government lowering tax. You could only see them increasing it. And given the economic sensibilities that Keir Starmer is trying to propose at the moment, I can't see that going down particularly well in Westminster, but there's a whole host of reasons and it's, it's, it's not just now, this is, this is historical, going back years and years on and just the power dynamics playing off between the PLP and the Senate group uh, of, of whom is the, the real driver of change within Wales and um, I, I don't think it's, it's it, sorry this is a real cop-out answer, it's not easy enough to distill within a single answer, it's, this, is, this is decades of, of power dynamics at play. Um, that really try and explain why some people may not want certain powers to vote. So, I think it's a turf war, basically. <laughs> it, I, th it's, I, I, I think it's about who is boss. Uh, it's not about justice. Uh, what's interesting is that no Labour MP, as far as I'm aware, and I, we've been looking <laughs> hard, has ever made an in-principle argument for retaining the current system. So what you get is that you get Conservative MPs or ministers, very, very junior ministers, sent to defend the status quo in ways that make no sense at all. Uh, it, you know, it works well, they say, about the system with the highest imprisonment rate in Western Europe, for example. Um, so um, then they're not engaging with the issues. Um, the... Select Committee on Welsh Affairs has ended up doing a lot of the scrutiny of the criminal justice system in Wales because the Justice Committee and the Home Affairs Committee don't want to do it because it's too complicated because Wales is different and yet they really struggle to find Labour MPs to be on the Select Committee for Welsh Affairs. So uh, it's not about uh, a sense that we have 
really big ideas for justice that we're going to implement if we come to power in at the UK level. I'm sorry, I just don't believe that. There's no evidence for that. I think it's basically what we have, we hold, uh, and we, you know, I think, I suspect I, this, you know, this, this, I, this is more speculative, but I suspect that there's a group of Welsh Labour MPs who've felt that they've been in the shadow of the Welsh government over the last few years, and they think it's there. It's time. It's it's our time to shine, so to speak. And I suspect that's what's going on here. Uh, who's the next question? The Senate group have run a government now for a very long time, and that Mark Draper is clearly the most popular politician in Wales by some distance. How how can it be that um, the MPs hold more sway when it comes to things like the Brown Report? And um, when you think that the people who actually wield executive power should surely have more influence than they do. Is it just a matter that um, Gordon Brown's ideology overrides kind of common sense, or is it something different? <laughs> for, what, for, for, for what it's worth, I don't think they do. Uh, I do not think fundamentally within the Welsh Labour Party that the PLP do hold more sway or clout than the Senate group. I think that when decisions are being made at a Westminster level, those people closest to those decisions are obviously going to have more of an influence on it than necessarily people in Cardiff Bay would do. But I, I fundamentally think, and this has been the case for more than a decade now, and I think you'll probably agree, that the, pa the balance of power in Welsh Labour has switched now forever towards the Senedd group. I think that they are the dominant force, they are the people who make decisions, they have been in government for 23, 20, uh, a while. Um, <laughs> so they are the dominant force and I don't think that is fundamentally changing but it's again you've got to understand how the Labour Party works. The Labour Party is not one individual or a set of individuals, it's divided up into a myriad of different forces. You've got the Senate group, the PLP, the trade union, the local government arm, the members, the people who work at Transport House. These are all completely intertwining dynamics that fundamentally show you where and how the Labour Party in Wales works. So I'm reluctant because Matt knows more about, forgotten more about the Welsh Labour Party than I will ever know, but I'm gonna nonetheless hazard a few observations. One is that um, I think there's room, I think there's, 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 there are reasons to believe that Keir Starmer and uh, Mark Drickford are not what we'd call in Welsh um, two souls in perfect communion. I think they come from different places within the Labour Party. I think that the relationship between them is not straightforward um, for, for all kinds of kind of left-right reasons because I think that there's something of a control freak around Keir Starmer. There's, there, there, are, there are, you know, there, there are kind of reasons to suspect that's not a particularly close relationship. So I think that's there in the background. And I think, yes, a lot has changed in the last 10 years, but the the Labour manifesto in 2019 and the Brown Commission report are, are both, are, I think, a humiliation for for the for the Welsh government. You know, they the, there was a severe watering down 
on the commitments to Wales between 2017 and 2019. The Brown Commission waters it down even further. It's very public. I, I, I don't think there's any way of, of dressing this up as a defeat for the Senate group as compared to the Welsh PLP. Um, so, and I'm not, I, and I'm also, just to complete my trilogy here, I'm also not convinced that the balance of powers, I, I suspect that if, if and when Labour win the next general election, which I confidently expect um, now, because the Tories are self-immolating in such a spectacular way, I, I think that the relationship between uh, the Senate, the, the Welsh Labour Senate group and the Welsh Labour PLP is going to be very, very difficult, because I think that the Welsh PLP thinks it's our time to shine and it's we're in charge now. Mm. And we saw during the 20, the kind of whole Elko period, that nightmare period, yeah. you know, they were very, very happy to throw their weight around and, and put the Welsh government in, in their place as they saw it. We got one question here, <laughs> one question here, and then one question here. And then, were there any other questions? Otherwise, I think we may draw it to close up. Uh, uh, come on. Oh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, one, two, three. Uh, for a former mathematician, I've never regarded numbers as counting very much. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but I don't think numbers decide very much, actually. But unfortunately, what we have, instead of numbers, are estimates uh, which are not disaggregated for Wales uh, and under the ONS. And this must stop. And there must be statistics, good statistics, much improved statistics for England, I suppose, but certainly for Wales. We need some numbers, real numbers that matter, that we can rely on. The wrong questions not being asked, uh, we need to, I think, put that up as a priority before we're blown away because people say, oh, you're just using ONS data, don't rely on that, etc., etc." And that's just about the, the end of it, really. If you can't rely on ONS data, where are you? What other data is there? So I'm going to open that up to our former civil servant in the room there. <laughs> I think just a quick, yeah, data provision and robustness of what we have for a variety of reasons. I think Jerry mentioned it in some of the financial sides in his talk. You know, it does need to be a lot more robust and uh, we need to be able to trust that and know what we're talking about in all of these kind of discussions. Uh, I had nothing to add on that, no? No. Well, I, I, I could talk at length because we've just published a book on the criminal justice system uh, in Wales, which has involved FOIing <laughs> the MOJ for a decade. One of our colleagues, Rob Jones, has done that for a decade. And there are still things that we can't find out, which are basic things. So, absolutely, Neil. Amen. So, so someone needs to start the campaign to devolve the ONS. Um, there you go. <laughs> From Newport. Yeah, it's a Newport. It's here anyway. <laughs> I know. If Wales and England were totally different countries, opposite sides of the world, would we be saying that these Labour parties are the same and not just, you know, the Brazilian Workers' Party and the British Labour Party as they are in each country? <laughs> You're going to extend the podcast. <clears throat> a three-hour three version of the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Have you met my jobs? <laughs> um, Director's cut. 
So, I'm, I'm, there's, there's far too much there, mm. but I, I'm going to start. I'm, I'm going to only talk about the first bit of your question, which is the difference between the Welsh Labour Party and the English Labour Party, which I think is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about this recently because we're writing a piece on the century of Labour domination. And, you know, the, 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 the stats are really startling. Uh, Labour have won 27 general elections in a row in Wales. In that whole time, they've only ever won a plurality of the votes in England seven times, right? So, seven times versus 27 times. And so, there are lots of kind of cultural things that flow from that. Uh, the sense of, you know, in entitlement, which is bound to come in, this assumption that you're going to win, which is bound, this is human, this is human. When you win, you know, af after a century, you're going to expect to win. And that clearly has implications. But also at the devolved level, you know, being in government for so long, uh, we had an event the other week where Jane Hutt uh, did an introduction. And Jane Hutt is probably the Labour politician in the history of the Labour Party with most executive experience. I think she's been out of government for possibly six months of the entire time we've had devolution. Yeah, 23 years. So there's six months. So, and that's extraordinary. And just what are the expectations that arise from being able to wield that power? I mean, I, I, I don't have any answers to this. I'm just raising these as kind of big cultural questions about the, the difference between the Welsh party and, and the English party. Let alone the Scottish party, given the way it's shriveled over the last... I mean, I do remember an article that you wrote, and it came out the day after the 2016 Senate election. Right. It's called Labour, the, was it the most successful electoral winning machine? In the democratic world. world. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and fundamentally, with... I'm right. Well, part, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, fu fu but fundamentally, I mean, I don't know how you... Labour in Wales are better winning elections than Labour in England. And I don't know whether that's because the policy of, of England is so fundamentally different to Wales or whether that... Well, I've, well, got, I've, got, a lecture, I've got a lecture about that. Uh, that you, you do. That we can... That we can but that's or, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or whether Welsh Labour has allowed itself to reflect better the people who vote here. And I, I, I don't know. It's, Richard's probably... Richard's very, very good at, uh, lecture. It's probably better on this than that, so... Um, there was one last question. Um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to kind of bring it back to what we were saying right at the start, um, and maybe some of what Jerry was saying about the Empire State, um, and maybe how that has that, and also uh, maybe the Brexit legislation, like specifically around the centralisation of power in Westminster, um, maybe how that influenced this trust's decision, and maybe some of the decisions that were made by that government, and maybe the following government um, that we currently have. Um, but also maybe how that has influenced the um, Brown, the Gordon Brown report that we've just seen, um, because you know there's a lot of centralisation uh, power, a lot of sort of power being held in um, sort of uh, the elite quote quote um, of the UK, and I'd be really interested to hear like how that has influenced maybe the PLP, but maybe also the Welsh Labour. I mean, the only thing I, I mean, Brown is interesting. The Brown Commission report is interesting because clearly they want to 
implicitly he wants to do away with parliamentary sovereignty mm. as as the central dogma of the state but actually he can't address it directly but he feels that he can't address it directly um, and so you find they're trying to find ingenious situations of, of of dealing with that and I think this is we haven't really spoken about, and I'm not suggesting that we do, uh, the, 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 the interim report of the, the Welsh Commission, which has mm. been published today, but they, they posit three alternatives for the future of Wales. One is entrenched devolution, one is federalism, and one is independence. And if they're going to talk about entrenched devolution in any serious way, they're going to face the same problem that the Brown Commission faced, which is you know, how do you do this in the context of parliamentary sovereignty? Because fundamentally we've already had legislation in the Wales and Scotland Act that said that the Senate and the Scottish Parliament are permanent institutions, haven't we? But of course but that doesn't, doesn't matter doesn't mean anything. because you have parliamentary so, sovereignty. And without, but they don't want to go for, well, the Brown decided not to go for a, a, a written constitution. Does the Welsh Commission say that is viable? And if that is, you know, Will, Will went through a series of dates how long would it take to write a, a written constitution and agree it for the UK? You know, probably at least 30 years. So you've got all of these major issues um, and, and which all of this circulates around. And of course, what Brexit has done is it's even more deeply entrenched a very, very crude notion of parliamentary sovereignty, which is to go back to where I started initially, why every option is really difficult here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's come this evening to listen to both the earlier panel and to us speak. Uh, and I'm going to do the regular outro to really annoy Rich. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find uh, Hereith on Twitter and Facebook at HereithPod. Go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you so much for supporting us now in person. But if you would like to do so also with your wallet, please do not forget to go to www.patreon.com forward slash heroithpod. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Heroith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.